Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, my name is Tom Witterall. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, do uh, keep your Bibles open, uh, if you've got one, uh, at Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. So uh, we are in our series on ancient knees, where we are looking at prayers from the Old Testament. And uh, just before we dive into Hannah's story, I just want to start off by saying two things. The first is that I'm aware that uh, we are looking at uh, Hannah's prayer, but this is the only prayer of a woman that we are looking at in this series. And there are so many great stories from throughout Scripture of God working in the lives of women. And I want to recommend this book to you. It's called 40 Women. I think I've recommended it before by Ros Clark. It's written for Lent, which is coming up. Uh, 40 stories of 40 women of God doing remarkable things in and through them. Uh, So let me recommend that to you. And then secondly, as we get into Hannah's story, let me just say that it it does touch on some painful themes, particularly of struggling to have children. And I'm aware that I'm limited in what I can personally understand and sympathize with. But I know that God has made us male and female, and he knows us fully. And I'm praying that he will speak this morning. And this is a profoundly beautiful story because God speaks into real pain, real circumstances. And so let me just say from the start that if this story particularly resonates with your story for any reason, then uh, there will be people around who you can pray with at the end, if that will be helpful. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, teach us to pray. As we open your words, help us to see more of you so that we might be helped in our most desperate moments and with the deepest heartaches within us, Lord, that we would call out to you in faith. Move in us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it is said that behind every great man is a great woman. And uh, if we were to take some of the greatest kind of known Christian men of faith and trace back their stories to the very beginning, to the roots, we would find, most likely, a mother hidden away in a quiet place, praying. We've heard one story already. There's also Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, looking uh, behind to his mum, Amelia, whose prayers and tears God heard and used to open up his heart to Jesus. Then there's also... John Newton, uh, whose mum Elizabeth faithfully prayed for him, and even though the kind of journey of his life is one that took him to quite depraved places, he eventually turned around, and we know him best for writing the song Amazing Grace, and he recognized it as the fruits of his mum's prayers in his life. The labors of motherly love are so easily overlooked and undervalued but they are the silent epicenters of the most significant movements of God in history. As one writer puts it, again and again before God laid his hand on a man, he laid it first on his mother. Now when we recount some of the most significant events of history, often we remember the kind of powers and rulers and their decisions and actions And so often behind the scenes, unheard and overlooked, there are the labored prayers of a mother on her knees. 
And this brings us to Hannah's story. Hannah lives at a time uh, in history where uh, the nation is summed up with these words. God's people are summed up with these words. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So it's not going well with the people. And then God is not at the front of the minds of the people within his temple. We hear later in 1 Samuel that the sons of the priests were abusing their position in the temple. So it's not good out there with the people. It's not good in the temple. And so it's no surprise in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, that we hear these words. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. And here we are at the start of this story of, of 1 Samuel that's going to to radically change as God is going to establish a kingdom. And he opens this story with the faith-filled prayers of one woman. And in this incredible story, God is showing us his heart to listen to the prayers of the undervalued and the overlooked. And through those prayers, bring about his incredible purposes. Hannah's story here starts in a place of desperation. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, Hannah prays in desperation. So who is she? Who is Hannah? Well, she is one of two wives married to a man named Elkanah. And uh, it's worth saying uh, that this is descriptive of the time. This is not the Bible saying that this is okay. It's not an endorsement. It's worth just mentioning that to be clear. And it's, it's quickly apparent that this is not ideal. We hear the heartache hinted at in verse 2, which tells us that Penina, El- Elkanah's other wife, Penina, had children, but Hannah had none. And immediately we sense that this is not going to be an easy family life. It's not easy for anyone who desires children but can't have them. And yet here for Hannah, she is living in a time where this carries a particular burden, This would have brought shame upon her husband, and it would have been a real cause for concern for their economic well-being, not just as a family, but as a whole community as well. And as this story starts out, we're we're told that this family, they're heading out on uh, a pilgrimage to the temple to worship God, and even with just a few simple details, we are made aware of Hannah's pain. As the family sit down to a meal together to eat at the temple, we're told that she receives this, what I've called a, a painful portion. She, she looks over at, at Panina getting loads of portions of food for her, her children. And whilst Hannah, her husband, gives her a, a double portion because he loves her, you can, you can imagine her feeling, I guess, that sense of absence there as well as she receives it. And then on top of that, she is painfully provoked by her husband's other wife. Year after year, as they make the journey to the temple to worship God, you can imagine Penina asking Hannah, kind of through, I guess, a a thinly veiled cruelty, why are you coming to give thanks at the temple? Where has God blessed you? Painful provocation. And perhaps, you know, it would be made easier by her husband, but his efforts um, for comforting words are a pretty painful pick me up. He asks her why she's weeping, why she's not touching her food. And, you know, it's, it's easy for us to comment, but he's 
he's not doing himself any favors, is he? He's, you know, he's, at first it sounds like he's just oblivious to her pain. But then he says, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Which, you know, there's an arrogance there, isn't there? Which you can imagine only compounding the guilt for her because it's as if he's saying that she's wrong to feel this way and not be content that she's, you know, won the lottery with this guy. So you see this levels of pain building up in his life. And for Hannah, her anguish is too much. As the meal finishes, she leaves her food and untouched and she gets up from the table. And she heads into the temple and she lets her tears spill out. She weeps. Each warm tear touching her cheek, a reminder of a prayer spoken in the past that yet still feels unheard. And as others move around the temple, she utters words of quiet desperation to God, which we read in verse 11, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be used on his head. This is a woman so often lost in the crowd of her own family, now one small lone voice in the temple desperately crying out. The ache of her heart is to be seen by God. Do you hear that? Look on your servant's misery and remember me. Don't forget me, she says. Why does she pray this way? God isn't a God who, who needs reminding. He, he knows everything. He knows who she is. He knows the number of hairs on her head. But Hannah is calling out for God to make it known that he sees her. In her prayer, she promises that if God would give her a son, that she won't use a razor on his head, which is another way of saying that she will give him, and his life will be desert, devoted in service to God. Which is just, you know, isn't it just a profoundly astonishing thing to say? Now, and, you know, thinking about us, we might imagine ourselves to be able to pray this in our desperation, but really to mean it and to follow through is a whole other thing. Vows like this are not super common in Scripture. But as she prays this vow, we see extraordinary faith. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Jacob's story, and he prayed what sounds like a very similar prayer. Do you remember? Um, if God does X, then I will worship him. And I called it the grifter's prayer. And on one level, Hannah's prayer sounds similar. But Jacob wanted to make sure that he didn't lose out. You know, God, prove yourself and then I will worship you. But make no mistake, this prayer of Hannah's is a prayer of trust. She is saying, God, I want your blessing because I want you. As much as she is desperate for this precious gift, she shows us that she is even more desperate for the giver. It is tremendous faith with which she is calling out. This is a powerful demonstration to us of godly desperation. It is a powerful way to help steer us in our heaviest heartaches. 
to help us pray, Lord, I, I want this thing, and I can't help but see that I need this thing. But what I truly need more than anything is to be reassured that you know me and that you care for me. Oh, she leads us in the right way with her prayers. And gloriously, the Lord hears her desperate pleas. God hears Hannah, verses 12 to 28. We see in the story that Hannah, having prayed this significant prayer, she continues just silently mouthing her prayers in the temple. And we get this quite bizarre interruption. Eli, who's the, the priest, uh, kind of on duty there, observing the goings-on in the tabernacle, he sees Hannah praying, and his immediate response is to call her out for being drunk, which, you know, it doesn't really say much for, I guess, his, his abilities of spiritual perception. It would be like uh, a lifeguard challenging a kind of a drowning person for messing around in the water. But maybe it's because it's more common to see someone plastered than prayerful. Maybe it's a statement about the times. When Hannah corrects him and tells her that she's been praying, Eli says to her in verse 17, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And this is all the confirmation that she needs. Hannah is able to return and to eat something. Her face perhaps still red and warm from crying, but now carrying a, a knowing smile because she has been heard. And she doesn't have to wait very long either. We're told in verse 19 that having returned home, she and her husband make love and, and that the Lord remembers her. This baby is going to be from the Lord. And Hannah recognizes this when the, the baby arrives in her joy. She calls him Samuel, which sounds like the Hebrew for heard by God. This is a glorious and wonderful answer to prayer. This is an awesome God who, by his own power, brought life where there wasn't. And multiple times in scripture, we see God give the ability to, to have children where it wasn't possible before. And we know that there are stories within church where people have conceived where the only explanation is that God has done it. It might have been through kind of medical intervention or not, but it's clear that it is answered prayer. And it is so exciting when we as a church get to see the fruit of those prayers and to share in the joy of the parents. God does this. He does do it, and it is miraculous. And it is wonderful. Hallelujah. But it is also important that we do not draw a, a straight line here, because many have prayed. Many have prayed like Hannah, with real humility and faith, and yet still go without the joy. (sighs) 
and go without the joy of bringing a child home. So what do we do? Friends, what do we do when we don't get the blessing that we ask for? Well, for, for all of Hannah's life, that had been her experience, hadn't it? Her response over the years has shaped the faith that we now see. Just as the Countless trips to the temple meant that she knew the place where she could go and weep. Just as the many hours of searching prayer taught her who she could trust with her deepest heartache, we can learn from this prayer. And the first thing that I want us to notice here is that she comes to the Lord. Now that might sound like a really obvious answer. But for some of you here, you find it more easy to vent at the open universe into the ether, but struggle to bring it in prayer to the Lord. And maybe that's because your fear is that he, he doesn't hear you, or that he's unwilling to hear you. But if you are trusting Christ, you can be sure that he does So she says, the Lord Almighty, she refers twice, we see it two times, the Lord. We read in Isaiah, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And he longs for us to call out to him, not just out there, but to him, because it's as we press into him that we remember who he is. Let's direct our prayers to the Lord. And the second thing to notice here is her open hands. Multiple times here in the NIV, we read that she says, uh, refers to herself as the servant. It's actually three times. Uh, If you have the ESV translation, we see that it's three times. Three times, your servant. Humbling herself, she does not forget that He is the Lord that she is praying to, the Lord of all who sees everything, who knows and understands everything, and whose purposes and whose will she wants to follow. She has her hands open, and we see that in the way in which she's willing to to ask for a son and yet willing to give her son. She comes with open hands, and these two things don't come naturally to us. We are rebels in recovery, and we find it hard. But God is gracious, and in our most desperate moments, he beckons us to lean into him in trust. It is God's strange and glorious wisdom that means that often it is through our desperate moments that he speaks to us the loudest and teaches us to trust often it's only when we get to that point of desperation that we allow ourselves to be driven into his arms. 
we're helped to stop depending on our own efforts. We wake up to our attempts to distract ourselves from the problem. We are led to let go whatever hardness has built up in us. And as we lean upon him, we realize that he is the God who is close to the brokenhearted. And as he leads us through the dark places, he is able to enlarge our understanding and our joy at who he is. He may bless us in the ways that we ask for, and it is okay. It is good to ask for him to bless us. Yet he may not bless us in the ways that we ask. But he is glad to take hold of our open hands and let us know that you are not forgotten. For Hannah, he does this extraordinary thing. And in verse 24, we're told that when Samuel is is weaned that she brings him back to Eli and gives him to the service of the Lord. And so we get this second prayer in chapter 2, which is a, a celebration from Hannah. Hannah sings in celebration. And to be honest, just as we look at this, I find this so hard. We, we have a seven-month-old baby, and I'm, I'm lost for words at seeing Hannah follow through on her vow. Letting her son go and grow up in the temple. You know, this is, this is we've already said this is not a great place at the moment. She is to let, let Samuel grow up with, with Eli's sons who are rubbish. <laughs> and we read this and we think, surely not. God, why? Why would you do it this way? Surely he's better staying with Hannah. And if we were in her shoes, you know, finally making that journey up to the temple with the offering, overwhelmed with the Lord's blessing that she has this baby, we would have it in the back of our minds that maybe God will say something and Samuel will come home with us. And yet, having delivered Samuel, she prays this song of celebration. There's not a hint of it. Maybe she felt it, but there's no suggestion But I put it to you that her prayer, this, and, and her, her ability to, to pray this prayer and hand over Samuel is a result of her continual open-handedness to the Lord. Hannah is an example here of how we receive God's blessing. You see, how we hold a gift can change whether it causes us to be thankful or whether we start to see it as a burden. Just to give you an example, when, when Caitlin and I were uh, first married, the Lord blessed us with uh, a house that was our own, that we could live in, and we were really thankful. But I quickly noticed how, by holding on to it, it became something that I would measure myself against others with, either you know, flip-flopping between feeling superior or looking at somebody else's better house or whatever and feeling inferior. I was you know, clinging on to it and, and flip-flopping emotionally. And then as it started needing care and work and money, and my desire to kind of keep hold of it meant that it it felt like a burden. Rather than just acknowledging that this is a gift from the Lord for us to use for his purposes, I traded my thankfulness. Do you see that in yourself? Do you see yourself clinging on to gifts and that changing the way that you respond to them? Stealing your thankfulness 
And yet in this prayer, Hannah, her hands are, are fully open to the Lord. And because of this, because her hands are fully open, she is able to see more of who God is and what he's doing. That's, that's this prayer. She is seeing more of who God is and what he's doing. So we've got these, these verses on the screen. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. I delight in his deliverance. There is no rock like our God. Her praise just pours out to him because she sees that she's been heard. That's what she wants. That's what she needed. And as she has thrown herself upon him, she has felt the, the substance and strength of the one who holds her, her rock. And she rejoices. Quickly, though, in her prayer, it's obvious that she's starting to talk about what God is doing beyond just her family home. In this prayer, helped by the Spirit, she sees what God's purposes have been, which we don't always get to see, but Hannah gets to see. Look at the end of, of uh, the prayer in verse 10. Yeah. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalts the horn of his anointed. There's not yet a king, but she sees what God is going to do. She's just asked him for God for a son, but through her faith-filled prayer, God is bringing about his great purposes. There is now going to be a kingdom where God is seen. And where through the king, God is going to show himself to be the God who protects, in verse 4. The God who feeds the hungry, verse 5. The God who acts justly, verse 8. And the God who brings dead things alive. Verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. Hannah is seeing things far beyond her immediate surroundings even far beyond things that she's going to see in her own life. You see, as her son grows up, she will see a kingdom established. But even those are not going to be the full fruits of what God is starting. But there's someone who does get to see what God's purposes are. And it's another miraculously expectant mother Mary. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, the Spirit causes Mary to pray a very similar song. Mary, who rejoices that God has seen her. Mary, who calls herself God's servant. And Mary, who sings of God's promised kingdom, which is now here through the child in her womb. Jesus. Jesus is the one that all the prophets from Samuel onwards is going to point to. The prophet who more than just tells us about the truth of God is the truth of God with us. Jesus, who is the one who all incoming kings point to. The servant king who reveals God's love through his willingness to die for us 
to bring us out of deepest darkness. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God's fullest answer to Hannah's prayer is the son that God himself is willing to give up. So that any of us who come in faith can know that we are not forgotten. So will you throw yourself upon this extraordinary love? Here is the one that we can turn to in our most desperate of moments. Are you trusting him? Are you calling out to him with the deepest heartaches of your heart, big or small? Will you let his nail-scarred hands lead you deeper into his purposes and love as you pray? Let us pray. Father in heaven, there is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one. No one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Where else can we go, Lord, with our, our desperate hearts and know that we are truly heard? Lord, forgive us for looking to ourselves. Forgive us for clinging on to that which you have given us. Lord, we open our hands fully to you now, Lord. And we receive Jesus. We receive his love. We receive his sacrifice and grace. And we thank you that in him we are fully known and never forgotten. Lord, as we cling to him, in faith we pray, take, take us to deeper places in the purposes that you have for us. Guide us and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.